welcome. It's good to be here with you and a chance to worship God. I'm thankful for a chance to gather in person. It's also a chance to be reminded that we gather here, not just here in this room, but uh, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who join us online who are worshiping. And so it's a, it's a reminder of the work of Christ to not only reconcile us to God, but to one another by the Spirit of God. And so as we gather, I just want to take a moment to remind you of a couple of things. We'll be uh, gathering here and we'll have a shorter service than normal in our, our traditional liturgy. And so we won't have a time of offering. If you'd like to give to the work of the church, you can do that online. Or there's a silver uh, plate in the back that you can drop off a gift there. Also, I encourage you after the service to take some time to step out onto the sidewalk. Hopefully the rain will stop and have a chance to have a chance to catch up with each other and, and get to know each other um, outside the building after the service. One other thing just to mention is that uh, starting today, we're uh, restarting children's worship. So ages 5 to 10, uh, they'll be dismissed uh, after the confession and assurance time. And they'll go through this door behind or under the exit down to the basement uh, where uh, Melinda will be teaching the children's worship class. And that, that will go until the end of the service. So all children are welcome to go, or they're also welcome to stay here in the service as well. Well, God calls us to come and to worship, calls us to come and prepare that we can respond to his goodness. So let's take a moment of quiet as we prepare to do so. out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More, More to be desired are they than gold, sweeter also than honey. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. 
Almighty God, gracious King, you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor for your kingdom and throne stand forever. Even when we fail to give you praise, the heavens declare your glory above all. Your rule and kingdom exceed all nations and rulers in power, justice, and righteousness. For you alone judge with equity and without prejudice. At the same time, you are good and merciful. You pour out your loving kindness towards us. You demonstrate your patience towards us in Christ. Lord God, we come to you today needing to know more deeply your steadfast presence in our lives, our families, neighborhood, nation, and world. We confess that this year seems to continue to bring new uncertainties and increases our doubts and our fears. In particular, we do want to pray for the health and recovery of our president and of other national leaders in our country. We ask for peace and stability in the midst of so much uncertainty around our nation. And we are reminded that just how weak and vulnerable we are, and yet so often we live in ways that take for granted our true and utter dependence upon you, the one who sustains and preserves all things. Teach us each day to put away our self-reliance and draw more and more closer to you and trust. Gracious God, we are also reminded that this virus not only touches important national leaders, but it has touched everyone. In particular, it has touched communities that have experienced oppression and injustice. Lord, it has touched those who are sick and frail. Lord, we plead with you. We ask that you would bring relief. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to those who need healing and comfort to those who have lost loved ones or who are in the midst of uncertainty. Lord God, we ask that by your spirit you would meet us here as we gather to worship. Fill us by your spirit and give us a delight in your presence and in the presence with one another. Give us a desire to draw closer to you and to seek the good of our neighbor. May the spirit strengthen us in our worship as we lift up our eyes to you. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we gather together to worship, um, God invites us to come to him, to bring to him our burdens and our confessions. And we'll do that first uh, publicly and then privately. Heavenly Father, you teach us the way of wisdom. You lead us in the paths of righteousness. But we are often afraid when we cannot see where you are leading. And so we choose our own paths and turn away from your instruction. Gracious, Gracious Lord, Lord, forgive, forgive us, us for doubting you and help us hold fast to your words. Give us wisdom and insight that we may follow you and trust you even when we do not understand the world around us. Please join me in a moment of silent prayer.
Gracious God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are those who can come before your throne of grace to find peace and forgiveness from our sins and our burdens. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand with me? Our words of assurance come from Isaiah 40. Let us recite them together. Comfort, comfort, comfort my people, my people says your, your God. Speak, speak tenderly to, to Jerusalem and cry to her that her, her welfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Amen. Um, our children are dismissed, uh, the five through ten-year-olds. Uh, Miss Melinda's in the back, and they can follow her down the stairs for the class, and everyone else can please be seated. The New Testament lesson is, is Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever a gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, of the call of God in Christ Jesus. The gospel lesson is Matthew chapter 21, chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leaned it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and have this inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, 
what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you ever read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. Is it marvelous in our eyes? Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. forgot the first page of my sermon, so that would have been, you know, a little awkward to try to remember, I guess. Well, we are uh, looking at uh, the passages from the prophet Isaiah this fall, and it's, it's, I'm thankful for a chance to look at God's word with you um, today. And as a way to start, a reminder that the book of Isaiah, there is this cycle of, of which God is very direct about the struggles that his people are facing, but also that he speaks hope into the midst of them. And as a way for us to enter our passage today, it's helpful for us to think about a time in which we had a fear or a worry or something, an uncertainty, and that that fear or worry, uncertainty didn't just loom over us, but came to a head, a head in our life or came to a head around us. Maybe we can think past things or even things going on presently, We can think about maybe bills or debts that come due. We can think about rumors of cuts at work suddenly announced a reality. Maybe we can think about the COVID restrictions and all sorts of ways they've impacted us, maybe especially for students, hoping that we'd hear schools would be open and and happening, but then hearing the announcement that they will be just remote. We could think about a dreaded call or a dreaded meeting and that day has arrived or you have to see that person. We can think of all sorts of things, maybe a diagnosis in which now the treatment that we have to go through has arrived. I say all those things that may be difficult for us to think about or difficult for to recall or even to think about here in in the moment because it leads us into what the Israelites are experiencing in our passage. If you've been listening to the sermons or from Isaiah, you know that the people of Assyria, the neighbors to the north, have been looming over Israel throughout the book. They're harsh, and they're arrogant, and they're violent. And that shadow that's been looming over them in our passage today arrives at Israel's doorstep. That fear, that worry about what's going to happen, how will these people affect us, suddenly becomes a very real situation. It comes to a head. You see, throughout the book of Isaiah, whether it's the internal struggles or external problems, 
God, through his prophet, has been very direct with his people, very honest about their difficulties. Yet in the midst of them, God has called Isaiah to continually put up a vision of his kingship, a vision of his kingdom, that even in the midst of unjust nations, even in the midst of human sin, that God's kingdom will endure and it will be established. And so in the midst of this looming shadow coming to a head, we see again that God does this in Isaiah. Here we come across something unusual in the book, a long kind of story, a long narrative. It's no longer poetic. But here is this account in which we see that Assyria comes to the doorstep and Hezekiah, the king of God's people at that time, pray to God, asking that he would hear and that he would see and that he would show himself to be the king of all the nations. So let's look at our passage. This is from chapter 36 and 37, telling us the story of how this unfolds for Israel. You can follow along with your order of worship or just listen as I read. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabashakah from Lachish to King Hezekiah in Jerusalem with a great army. The, the Rabkashah took, stood, and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. The city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of you his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his hand, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath or Apad? Where are the gods of Sepharim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. But they were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Elikim, the son of Hilakah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joe, the son of Epha, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabashkah. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sinarabah, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. 
Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, we come and we give you thanks that you've called us into your presence. And we now ask humbly that you would speak to us by your word through your spirit. Lord, we come and confess that we need to hear. We need words from you, the words of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I'm hoping that we can do today as we look at this passage is for me to tell you the story, for us to walk through the story of what's happening, and then to have the sermon kind of around two parts. As we go through the story, first we'll look at a message that raises questions, a message that raises questions, and then second we'll look at questions offered in prayer, questions offered in prayer. Well, as I mentioned, the people are under this great shadow of threat from Assyria. And I want to start by just telling you a little bit more of the context, a little bit more of what was happening. Under King Sargon II, I don't know much about Sargon I, but Sargon II, (laughs) Assyria became a very dominant force in the area, capital in Nineveh. In 722 BC, Sargon conquered the northern kingdom of Israel destroying the land and taking the people out of their ancestral lands and forcing them into exile. The southern kingdom of Judah survived that time, and eventually Sargon died in battle. And some of the surrounding nations saw this as an opportunity, and they began to rebel and to resist Assyrian rule. In Judah, the southern kingdom of God's people, led by King Hezekiah, was one of those countries. Those nations thought this is a good chance for us maybe to push back. They stopped paying their tribute and they talked to Egypt and said, hey, why don't you help us out and fight on our side? Well, Sargon had died, but his son Sennacherib, Sennacherib took command and he spent the first few years of his reign putting down these rebellions. From what I can tell, let's say he's pretty good at his job. Harsh and doesn't seem like a nice guy, but pretty good at his his job as king of the area. And after facing the neighbors to the east and taking control of that again, in 701 BC, he went west. The Egyptian armies faced him, but they were conquered. And this was bad news for Hezekiah, because after the victory over the Egyptian army, the Assyrians made their way down the Mediterranean coast towards Jerusalem. And all along the way, Sennacherib and his armies devastated the area and the cities around Jerusalem. And historically, in his own account, you can read outside the scriptures about what was happening. Sennacherib writes, Because Hezekiah, king of Judah, would not submit to my yoke, I came up against him, and by power took 46 of his cities. Hezekiah himself I shut up in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. I built towers around the city to hem him in, and prevent escape. Even thousands of years ago, apparently the image of a bird in a cage was meaningful, a symbol of freedom, right? A bird created to sing and fly free in the sky, held captive. And we're we're invited to imagine a land that was being terrorized, a city under siege and caged. Can you you imagine thousands of people from the outlying areas as they were attacked or as their cities fell, they would flee to Jerusalem. 
to find shelter inside the city's walls. And so suddenly this city was swelling with people crowded and soon starvation, disease, and violence would do their terrible work. All the while the enemy would be pounding away at the walls. And it's this scene, fear brought to its head, a shadow falling, people trapped like a bird in a cage that bring us to the moment of our passage. Sennacherib, camping near Jerusalem, sends his personal advisor, the Rabshakeh, to taunt and call for surrender. Maybe you noticed he calls out in a loud voice and he doesn't use his native tongue, but he speaks in the language of Judah so that everybody can hear what he's going to say. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, he'll surely deliver us. Do not listen to him. You don't need me to tell you that this message was intended to intimidate, to heighten the fear of the moment, right? The power of Assyria stressed in the repeated royal titles. Sennacherib is the king, the, the Lord, the great king, while no title is given to Hezekiah. He's a nobody. And don't let this nobody deceive you. He will not be able to help you. Talk is one thing, but planning and executing an operation is another, and Hezekiah lacks the ability to control what's going to happen. He cannot protect you, but if you submit to Sennacherib, you'll have peace and plenty. Did you notice what was said? Along with intimidation, there is this message of an invitation. Make peace with me, open your gates, and come on out. Then each of you will eat, and you'll drink, you'll have your homes, a land of your own. Yes, of course, in the fine print, I'll come back at some point and take many of you <laughs> out of your land and put you somewhere else. But even then, there'll be order, and there'll be things that you want. The message a moment brings to focus questions that have swirled in Isaiah throughout the chapters. And questions that if you're like me, we can relate to, maybe hidden inside of our hearts. This question of who is in control? If I want things to be different, how could that possibly happen? Who or what directs how things unfold in our lives? Hezekiah has no plan. He can offer no future. What about the Assyrians? And such questions of control lead even to deeper questions Questions about trust. Whom shall we trust? As I said, Isaiah has been trying to put before them, are you going to trust the Lord or are you going to trust the Assyrians? Which might sound strange, for the Assyrians were harsh and violent and arrogant, but the reality was that they were powerful. And they could say, listen, the Lord will let you down. But if you open the gates to me, things will go okay for you. This might seem, obviously, thousands of years ago, but if it, I don't think it takes too much for us to feel the uncertainties of the moment and the question of who's in control and what path will bring the path of life. This week I was reading again about the circumstances that surround us and, and this article said, if 2020 is defined by one thing, it's the ushering in of mass uncertainty. Uncertainty about how to behave in the face of a virus, Uncertainty about the winds and hows of life as timetables are no longer guaranteed. Uncertainty about 
which voices to trust or even the structures of our justice and country. Uncertainties about job security or when things might be less isolated. The whole world on edge, trapped. Another voice saying, we are living in extraordinary times in which every day throws up something that takes the previous day's unprecedented, unbelievable breaking news and makes it seem like nothing. I can't keep up. None of us can. Maybe you could relate to those words. Writing during the height of the Spanish flu in 1919, the poet W.B. Yeats, as he was caring for his wife who was sick, wrote a poem called The Second Coming. And he pictures the world as a spinning vortex, a whirlwind turning and turning. He writes, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The ceremony of innocence is drowned, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Turning and turning, things fall apart, the best lacking conviction, the worst giving to their passions. I want us to think about this moment that the Israelites found themselves in, on edge, trapped, birds in a cage. And for us to even put ourselves there in our current situation, and the reality is that, that we hear voices, that we hear voices of kings making offers to us. Maybe we feel that internally, but maybe we even hear it externally, making offers. Things will be better for you if you open your gates to me. Here's how you get out. Here's how you can feel better. And we could probably make a long list of what those kings and voices are, but maybe we can think also of some of them, of, of money. If you, if you pile enough, even in this hard time, things will be better for you. Or we can think about reputation. Now more than ever, you need to show that you can handle things. You're in control. Or maybe it's the voice of pleasure, that what you need to do right now is numb and forget. Or maybe it's the one of anger. The king of anger saying, open your gate. Why doesn't anyone do what they're supposed to do? <laughs> or why do you, my boss, or my spouse, or even my God, what do you want from me? Whom shall we trust? This is what looms before the people and it reminds me of in the gospel when Jesus was teaching his disciples and beginning to teach about who he was and his kingdom. And some of those who were following him left because things began to be too hard, too strange, too difficult. And he looks at his disciples and asks them too, will you also leave me? And the response to Jesus is, where else would we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? You see, our first part is a message that raises questions. But then we see that these questions are brought through to prayer, questions offered in prayer. Maybe you notice that Hezekiah is not present for the Assyrian advisor's loud message, but he receives it from his own advisors. They deliver the message. They bring a letter from the king. Maybe we can try to picture Hezekiah as he listens, as he sees their torn clothes expressing their mourning and anguish, and as he reads this letter before him, the weight of the moment resting upon his shoulders. And as I was picturing him and thinking about that moment for Hezekiah, 
I thought of a short story by David Foster Wallace titled, Good People. Good People. This story tells of a young couple, and in particular, it talks about the inner life or inner thoughts of a young man named Lane. Lane is respected, he's a Christian, viewed by those around him as good people. He's good people. Yet in this moment, in the story, he's struggling, struggling to face responsibilities, face the shame of his mistakes, of his actions. And he wants so badly, though, to remain good people. So he tells himself, I can't share my feelings, what's happened with my friends, my struggles with my pastor, or even with God. So in his devotion to remain good people, in this moment, Lane has to be his own friend, his own pastor, and even has to be his own God. He has to fill all the parts, all the roles, because he is alone. Lane's fear brings that battle that maybe you can relate to, brings it to light. In the face of our trouble, we are alone if we cling to our power, our reputation, to ourselves or others, our ability to handle things. We're alone to play the roles. Or do we allow ourselves to be seen and known? Seen and known even in our insufficiencies, our failures, our weaknesses. Because in stunning ways at that moment, if we're seen and known that we're opened up to others, even to God himself. And as he held that letter, it was possible for Hezekiah, the king, to decide to be alone and that he must play all the roles needed, that he'll be the friend, the counselor, and even God himself. But instead of that path, Hezekiah, we read, took the letter, the difficult one. He allows it to stir deeply within him, and he brings the questions of the future, the questions of trust, he brings it into the temple in front of God. Hezekiah recognizes that he can do very little, and so he spreads the weight of the problem before God, and he prays, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. And you see this plea, this prayer, where he starts is not his worthiness, not what he's done or will do or what the people deserve. It starts and rests in God's character. You are the king. You alone are God, and over all the kingdoms of the earth, I remember and acknowledge your power. You are the creator, the one who's made heaven and earth, and therefore you are the one who stands as definition and judge over all, who sees and hears. And yet this king and this creator, you sit above the cherubim. What, what, is, what does that mean, right, for us to ask? What does that mean? What's well, a reference to the Ark of the Covenant that held the Ten Commandments and part of the manna from the desert. It was given by God to the people when he took them out of slavery and called them his own special possessions on the Mount Sinai. You see, that ark symbolized that while God was the king and the creator of all things, he was also the God who gave his special possession to his people, his special presence to his people. The one who's above all things but also says, I am your God and you are my people. Here is the God Isaiah referred to as being with us. So what happened? Well, if we keep reading beyond what I read and 
chapters 37, we hear that Isaiah came to give a message, the prophet, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow or come before it with a shield. But by the way that he came, he shall return. For he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord God. And it goes on to tell us that the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Then when the people in the city arose in their cage, and they looked out, all these many soldiers were dead. And more than that, Sennacherib departed and headed home. But when he returned home, he found his sons, and his sons struck him down with a sword, seeking their own rule. What happened? Well, people have asked, was it an epidemic, a natural disaster, or God just acting in ways that we don't understand? And Isaiah doesn't answer that question for us. But rather, what we see and what we are invited to know is that God is the one who brings judgment on the Assyrians, that he's not like the other gods that were held by the king of Assyria. That in this moment, in this moment, God demonstrates his kingship and that we are invited along with the people of Isaiah's day that in the midst of our fears, in the midst of when these things that loom over us come to a head, to remember the vision of our God who cannot be held, but more than that, who opens the gates for his people, who opens the gates and liberates the captive, who sets free the bird to fly and to sing. That's a picture of our God. And we're invited, no matter where we are today, to remember that and to turn to him with our prayers and our hopes. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that it would speak to us and give us hope that we may rest as your people and live in your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
opportunity to celebrate communion. I invite you to stand with me and join in this responsive welcome. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. participating in communion, I invite you to go ahead and take the, the prepackaged elements and open those up. I encourage you to be careful. They're some, a little easy, hard to open. If you need one, you didn't, didn't get one on the way in, you know, uh, raise your hand and Pastor Eric or Pastor Brian can help you uh, with that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, as a reminder that this table is a gift from God. And as we come, we can think of Hezekiah, who was taunted and mocked, and we have a chance to think about another king, another king that was mocked. Jesus, the forever king that Isaiah talks about. The one, Jesus, the one that Isaiah names Emmanuel, God with us. You know the story of him, the one that was mocked as a criminal, the one who was trapped in the tomb, but who broke forth in resurrection and ascended to the right hand of God to sit as the king over all nations, the one who forms a people resting in his grace. So if we know of our sin and our need and put our faith in this forever king, then let us come and eat and drink, for it's by his broken body and shed blood that we're part of God's family now and forever. This is the good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table. We thank you for this bread and cup that we can see and hold and taste. And we pray, Lord, that you would use it as we come in faith to nourish us and strengthen us. And Lord, if we're not participating in communion, if, if people are just seeing this online or seeing it here, I pray that these, this bread and this cup would be a sign, a reminder of your love, of who you are, and that by your spirit you would strengthen and nurture them, drawing them into your peace. And so, Lord, please meet us in this moment by the sacrament. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new, it's a new covenant in my blood. As often you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Lord, we thank you for this table. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing and gift to us that our hope is not in our righteousness or in our power, but our hope is in you, Christ, the one who laid down your life, gave of your blood, that we be called sons and daughters of God. Let us walk in your spirit as we go forth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to stand, that you can receive the closing blessing of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace, now and forever. Amen. May go in peace.